Hi, I'm Adriana Medina Kagan. Welcome to Bien Fuerte. It's time to speak. This podcast was created to connect our community to others who are interested in exercising not only their physical bodies, but their mind, spirit, and soul as well. Listen to life experiences, themes, and topics that have taught us how to shed those limiting beliefs. Get advice from fitness experts, clients, business owners, and other community members that have inspired us to embrace abundance and freedom in all departments of our lives. Be brave enough to borrow other people's courage until we find our own strength to blaze our own way in this life and know that you are not alone. Finally got a client that I've been trying to interview for so long here we're doing it gi jane <laughs> i've known her for over a decade and originally we met because she needed to train for the police academy right well, to pass your test do you want my memory of how we first yes met? why don't you tell me that i know yeah. my <laughs> I so i grew up in north seattle but i first met you when I read about you in our neighborhood blog in Wallingford, and you were training some folks up on 45th and Stone Way, mm -hmm. and you had this boot camp you were doing, and somebody somebody had wrote in the blog <laughs> that they worked out so hard they were actually throwing up, and I thought I just cracked. Don't up be scared. Because, <laughs> so anyway, my ex-husband at the time for my birthday knew I wanted to work out, and I didn't know how to lift weights. I mean, you would think. I've been athletic my whole life, and I've always lifted weights, but really never knew how. It's just different. Mm -hmm. So anyway, he bought me a training package, mm -hmm. and that was in 2010. So it wasn't until I met you at five mm -hmm. that I learned actually how to use weights, and it was great. And yeah, yeah it, you changed my life. It, so, But that's exactly what I wanted you on to share that story, just because I knew you were older. I knew... You want to do something. I knew that you started from nothing to something. And you're badass. Like you passed your test. Your current community service officer here in Seattle. It's been a journey. And I think people need to hear more of that stuff because there's a lot of fears that limit us. Oh, we're too old. or Oh, I'm not strong enough. Or it just takes some dedication and well, discipline. I, I appreciate you. I remember even just five months ago when I hired you again another <laughs> yeah. and you kind of were joking around and I made a comment about my age I mean I'm 57 now I went to the police academy at 51 mm -hmm. and four months ago I, I made a comment about my age and you just looked at me seriously and you said you know what I don't want you to talk about that anymore <laughs> and I was like oh but it's true if anyone stops our, our goals it's ourselves Exactly. And, and everything's so mental. So anyway. It so is. and We've known each other for a long time. So and I love sure. it. And I want people to hear a little bit about but your background, what you kind of went through to get you to the spot that you were in. Because you made a lot of decisions that brought you here. Every decision that you make, it was never a mistake. It was just a decision that opened up more doors mm -hmm. in different mm -hmm. ways. And love being able to connect members and other clients to you, being like, this person made it. What are you talking about your age for? Stop <laughs> right now. And I train another man who's 84 and he still works. That's why I'm always talking to people like, mm -mm. Yeah. What, what are you willing to put in? 
how much effort and time. When you're ready, you're ready. I'm always a firm believer when it's time, it's time. So there you go. Tell us about your background, how you grew up. I call her G.I. Jane because she's just a badass, guys. Like, I just want you to know that. Like, every time I see her and she talks about something, I'm just like, do you know that you're inspiration? Do you know that I just finished Ragnar and I was thinking about you? Those are some goals that we set that are so grueling and hard. And yet we get to the other side and we're like, damn, I did it. And so you've had a lot of those. So that's why I wanted to have you on. Well, I think everything that's happened in my life is the reason why I'm here today. So I grew up in North Seattle, youngest mm-hmm. of six kids. My dad was a lawyer, later went on to be on the state Supreme Court. My dad was a huge inspiration for me. He went to O'Day High School. Mm-hmm. He grew up O'Day. in a little house in Broadway. His mom raised him, four kids, under the age of 12. His dad died when he was four. Oh. His mom was a nurse and used to deliver the newspaper once a month, making five bucks a day and give it to his mom. Mm-hmm. And so she was a nurse up at, but anyway, my dad, again, everything, and why I'm here today, probably because my dad mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, and my mom. So my dad was probably one of the last people who passed away from polio. He had polio when he was nine mm-hmm. and they tried to fix his back and they crushed one of his lungs when they did that. So he was in children's hospital for a year. Didn't have a lot of people tutoring him. The nuns would come in and out. Um, mm-hmm. He couldn't walk for a year. I actually have a picture of him in the, like this wheelbarrow. Mm-hmm. He was born in 1935. I when he was 70. But he couldn't walk, and there's a picture of him. And he has a big smile on his face, and he's in this huge like wheelbarrow. Oh. And then eventually he went to law school at Georgetown, and then he became chief justice of the state Supreme Court. So anytime <laughs> I would feel bad about something, I mean, I remember I, I broke up with a boyfriend or or something, and I was living at home right after college, and he was came in reading the paper, and he was still working on the court in Olympia, and he looked at me and he said, hey, your mother tells me you're sad. And he's reading the newspaper, and he just kind of puts the newspaper down and looks at me, and I'm just having some toast, because I'm trying to get out of the house, I'm trying to find a place to live on my own, but mm-hmm. after you, you know, I graduated from Gonzaga, mm-hmm. but I had to live at home, which you know no one likes to do that. And I tell him why I'm sad, because just, you know, broken up. And he just looked at me and he said, you know, Jane, if I was going to think about all the bad things that have happened in my life, he said, I'd be in the gutter right now. Mm-hmm. And I just looked at him and I thought, oh my gosh, <laughs> he's talking about real problems. <laughs> I don't know. He just started reading the paper again. And I was like, thank you. Because I was just not looking at the big picture and, oh, woe is me. And your stuff. Yeah. And so, anyway, we all, my brothers and sisters, we all went to Blanchett High School. I'm actually the sixth in the lineup, but my sister died of sudden infidesterum when she was three. And my mom started the SIDS Foundation in the 60s. Mm-hmm. So, before the internet, I grew up with my mom on the phone with people who have lost babies. Mm-hmm. So, when you lose a baby, you're a victim twice, right? You yeah. lost a baby, and then everybody thinks that you did something to the baby. So, um, <laughs> I know. Yeah, Christine died on a Friday. The funeral was on Saturday. Nobody talked about it. My dad went back to work on Monday. But during that time, mm-hmm. he and his buddy passed legislation because he was also a lawyer, but he was a state senator for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And they passed legislation that any child under the age of two should have an autopsy. And Mm -hmm. so that was new legislation for Washington State at one time. So until my mom passed away at 77, she was always talking to families who had lost babies. Mm -hmm. And I knowing growing that up and being part of that, part of giving, helping people, there's an endorphin that goes with that. And so my whole life, I've always wanted to be a police officer. 
Mm-hmm. That was my goal. I was very athletic when I was young, and I loved the uniform. Mm-hmm. I, I, I loved Adam 12. I loved Cagney and Lacey. I loved <laughs> SWAT. Mm-hmm. Uh, every time the SWAT show would come on, I could see myself grabbing the rifle and running out the back. And, Look at you. <laughs> yeah, was, I mean, that was my dream. But when mm-hmm. I, at Gonzaga, when I had to declare my major, so my older brothers and sisters all went to the UW. Mm-hmm. But my dad's friend had gone to Italy. His daughter had gone to Italy through a program, through a college program. And he knew Gonzaga had this same program. So he, he had a little money then, and he offered to pay for my education. So I'm very privileged. I was able to get my education paid for by my dad, go to private school. And so when it came around to the point of, hey, what am I going to major in? I wanted to major in criminal justice because that was a new degree back mm-hmm. then in the 80s. Well, I told him, I want to get a criminal justice degree. I want to be a police officer and I want to work for the FBI. And he's like, why would you want to work so hard? And then he said, because remember, he, he only had half a lung, so he couldn't play sports. And mm-hmm. it was hard enough for him just to work and walk and once do all that. golf. You can do all those athletic things that most, most boys could do. Right. So he's like, why would you want to work so hard? Because he had friends that were police officers. And he's like, oh, my gosh, those people work really hard. Why would you want to do that? And so you should get a business degree. Yeah. So I got a business degree in finance, and I had to work so hard and study, and it was really tough. I like the way that you brought that up because you brought up a couple of things that we could talk about and break down, like your visualization of what you really wanted to do. That was your dream. So it was always in the back of you, no matter what you decided. And sometimes we have supportive families, but they're not really supportive in that sense. You know, they're awesome. They're great. They're financial support, everything. But it's also what you want to do and trying to figure out, like he put that energy on you because of his one lung. He can't physically work that hard. He, in a way, crushed that dream of yours. Well, he grew up in the Depression. Mm -hmm. He thought in his mind that the only way you could really support yourself if you didn't have your health was to be a lawyer, a teacher, or a doctor, or like a CPA or accountant. He never really said that, but we were raised to work and be able to support ourselves. Yeah. So to really protect you and to really prepare you and to not have you suffer, but it's not necessarily what you really want to do. And he set up these structures and boundaries. And sometimes that's what I'm a, you know, status quo breaker. I'm like, let's do that. Let's do the opposite. Just do it. Get your feet wet. Go through the fear, like whatever it is. And that's hard because we have all these societal norms on females, on whatever it is and we don't realize we have them until we see them in our background that's what's so interesting is how you were raised is a direct reflection of what you end up doing my grandmother told my dad that he could be president of the united states i mean Mm -hmm. you really had that mentality and he raised us like you can do whatever you want there's no boundaries or you decide what you want to do and you go after it. I wanted to do that. I wanted to use my athleticity. I wanted to be out in the community helping people. It didn't change. Mm-hmm. At 30, I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. But I looked at how much a police officer made and it was like $40,000. And I think I was making 100 in sales at the time and yeah. paying a nanny $30,000. So I couldn't afford to do it. And then I still wanted to do it at 40. And then eventually when my kids were older, I decided I wanted to be a police officer. And then nobody was hiring. And then I went on to work in corrections and worked in the programs area at SCORE Jail that's near the airport. Mm-hmm. Worked with Western DSHS. Met all these 
wonderful people actually in my yeah. housing units and the heroin addiction had yeah. arrived yeah and I continued to meet all these people that would keep coming back into jail and learning their stories and they're amazing people with amazing stories they were people just like you and me yeah I learned so much from them and so I did that for six years and then moved on to be a police officer for three and a half years and then resigned last year and then came back on as a community service officer for the city working in the same area where I was being a police officer. So there's my history there. Yeah, but that was the whole around that you had to go through all of that. Like people could have deflated like, oh, they're not hiring. Maybe it's not meant for me or maybe I can't do that. I just remember talking to you during that phase and you're like, I'm older. I'm going to bring in a new perspective. I'm going to de-escalate. I'm going to have conversations. I'm going to listen to these people. And you did that and you heard their stories. I'm sure that you impacted some people along the way that just felt heard and acknowledged. We just need to be connected. That's like a human instinct that we kind of forget about. And well, You know what's interesting about that? When I left the jail to go work for the city of Seattle, I was cleaning out my locker and I found a bunch of thank you notes mm. and letters that some people had put through the vents of the locker. Like some corrections officers in the locker room had, had oh, this is for Jane. Oh. But no one told me about them. They got lost at the bottom of the locker. And so when I was unpacking, you know, leaving, I found them. Mm -hmm. And I probably had 10 to, about probably 15 to 20 notes from a different people telling mm -hmm. me I, like, changed their life yes I was like what what did I do I'm like who was that <laughs> and it was really just listening to them mm. but I found some really nice notes I had never read before in my last mm -hmm. day for jail and it was kind of like oh okay I didn't make a difference which that's not why you're a trainer that's not why you're a police officer you're not there to get recognition exactly um, but if you get it a couple times a year it's nice because mm -hmm. it's like oh yeah that's why I'm doing this just before we started recording I was talking to Jane about why I'm trying to have this podcast and it's about inspiration, motivation, education, breaking barriers, all of these things, because what we see in the news is just deflating at times, like the squabbling of the House of Representatives. And right now, it's just, it's just ridiculous. We just need to be adults and, and talk to both sides of the aisle and communicate, collaborate, and not divide ourselves like we do you're on that side that's them and us it's not it's all of us rather you realize it or not your behavior impacts somebody else that was really motivating for one of my clients you gave her that advice like just try something else until they are hiring but keep trying because it took me how long for you to actually be a police oh. officer right yeah 10 10 years 10 years of actively trying so there you go Ten years. Have you tried ten years? <laughs> if, you <have. laughs> yeah, I remember. if you haven't, that's gonna be my news. Try to lose weight. Did you try ten years? I went on my first ride along with a police officer. He's still at SPD now, and this was probably back in 2010. And he said, oh, "If you really want to be a police officer, you'll be one." Mm -hmm. And when he said that, I was like, "Okay." And so I always knew I would be one. I just didn't know when you just can't put a time frame on it you just do no. the activities and it will come you get you prepared know, you work, work the luckier you get it's preparation meets that opportunity when you have a goal it's really important to ask people for help and i was reflecting back when you asked me to do this podcast that i was running the track and trying to get faster on my mile and a half run when i was training to be a police officer 
I wanted to get 100% on the police mobility test because I was 51. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want anyone to say, oh, I can't do things because I'm not strong enough or I'm too old. But anyway, I ran into this guy training at Woodland Park and they were doing sprints. And I'm thinking, oh, I want to I get 100% score on my sprint. And I was short about two seconds. And so anyway, I talked to this coach when the guy he was training went up to his car and I said, oh, excuse me, I, I can't, but notice, are you training somebody? And he's like, yeah, I'm training that guy is trying out for the Seahawks practice squad. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And I said, I'm applying for the Seattle Police Department and I've been training for my abilities test and I'm just trying to get a little faster on my sprint. And he goes, oh, you are? I can help you with that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, really? And I can see the other guy still in his car. So I figure we got about two minutes here. And he said, listen, when you start on your sprint, you need to keep your head down. And then as you start running, keep your body down and then you move your body up as you're taken off and kind of like an airplane mm-hmm. and it'll propel you forward. And you know, I did what he told me to do. It could have just been mental too, but I ended up getting 100% on the sprint. <laughs> and you talked about it. Here, this, there's also what you said. You talked about your goal. You asked people for help. Even the people that were out in the street, like whatever it is, you wanted to get 100%. That is your overachieving mentality <laughs> because that does that does also go into play into other departments of your life like where you work out too much and you get injured right you know i always reference bruce lee but he always talks about injury is something that happens when you neglect or you overuse a muscle like just get the big picture in that sense so yeah but that's good and it's true i made people when they were doing a competition I was like, have you posted it on Facebook or on your social media? And they're like, no. And I said, well, you might want to think about that because then it's like real That's for you. Good, mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, my gosh. It took her about two weeks. But two weeks later, she's like, I am training to do a competition now. I'm nervous and scared, but I'm putting it out there. And then all these people commented and, re- oh, yay, you can do it, Lisa. We all got your back. We, what, what do you need? And she came back the next day and she was just very motivated. So I like that. You were talking about um, rites of passage. Yes. I was thinking about some of my rites of passage have been, there haven't been a lot, but I, I think my first one was when I traveled to Europe Mm-hmm. when I went to Florence, Italy, mm-hmm. and I met a lot of people my age that were very comfortable ordering at restaurants, and they had been very well educated, and they had traveled, and I felt like, wow, I just grew up in North Seattle. I had never even gotten on an airplane. You know, we couldn't <laughs> afford that. We got in the station wagon, and we would go to Oregon on our vacations, and then that's kind of a rite of passage when something kind of knocks you in the face and you feel uncomfortable and that's when you have the most growth mm-hmm. so I think another rite of passage I had was when I met you in 2010 when you pay for something you pay for training you're paying for someone who knows something you need that knowledge to meet a goal my dad used to tell me hey if you're going to pay for someone's advice like you're going to pay a lawyer or you're going to pay a trainer you should take that advice and do it <laughs> and so when I met you I was able to learn how to lift weights I was able to get myself mentally prepared mm-hmm. You were not only a cheerleader for me, but you taught me how, based on my body type, what to do. Um, so, because that does play a role in how you lift 
and what you are doing in your career and how you jump into working out like that's a difference too i mean there's that's where a lot of injury happens you follow that magazine workout instead of workouts that are designed for your protected shoulders or your weak core i'm not going to go ahead and put you on olympic lifting right away i mean let's <laughs> yeah. try some machines for a yeah. little bit until we strengthen your core because that's your foundation you know so you're right you do got to prepare the way you need to prepare. And that's how I got into this industry. I don't know if you remember. I lost the weight. Yeah, tell, I was tell me about that. <laughs> what was your you, weight in your 20s? I wouldn't weigh myself, just so you know. But I would wear my brother-in-law's clothes because I could fit it. I was over 155 when I actually did, and I had lost some weight. So me being 5'1", just understand, that's a good amount of weight where you feel uncomfortable and it kind of holds you back. And I couldn't run at that time either. I just started getting serious, but I was ready. See, I was ready. My girlfriend had gone to a trainer. So we were trying to do this together in 2001. And I could see the difference when she lost five pounds. I just looked like a smaller version of myself without the muscle definition. I was like, wait a minute, what am I doing? And she's like, I'm doing strength training and eating where I was just starving myself and just not doing cardio. So that's a difference too. And then I finally went and got a consultation with him and then got started. I needed to hear what were the requirements? What does this entail? And am I ready for it? Because I was my last year of college too, so just imagine like all these things and getting ready to go out into your career and take on a steady job. I saw mm -hmm. how hard that was for my family and I didn't want that. So I saw how my sisters, once they got married, once they got into the career that they wanted to, they just couldn't have time for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want that. So I wasn't ready for any of that stuff until like, I was ready to take care of my own body, my needs, feel stronger, feel more comfortable in my skin. And then I felt like that made an impact on how I applied for jobs because it just empowered me. Like, I did this. I worked this hard. Three months, I got to my goal. And it, and it was funny because my trainer had said, you're going to get to your goal in three months if you follow the food, do the lifting because you're not doing that. And a little bit of cardio. Like, I think he cut my cardio down to three days because I was doing seven and it was easier to maintain that whole spring that I hit my goals. And he was like, oh, my gosh, you did it. And he told me I could do it. And he's like, you don't understand. Not very many people actually do what I have them do. I was like, oh, OK. That was kind of interesting, mm -hmm. right? And I spent a lot of money on that train. As a student, it's an investment in mm -hmm. yourself. So I wasn't going to waste it. Yeah, I think if you really want to go, you just have to move forward and do it. I mean, I remember working at Score Jail and that was a lot of walking. Mm -hmm. I mean, one time I think I walked 10 miles in the jail. But I ended up wanting to be a transport officer because I wanted to be trained to use a gun. I'd, I'd never used a gun before. So I wanted to be a transport officer for a couple of years and then apply to Seattle Police Department. I tried to apply to Seattle early on in 2010, 2011, but they just weren't hiring, mm -hmm. which is so funny now. They're down like 400 officers. Oh, so it just goes to show you that, that things change in the world and just go after your goal and, and things will fall into place. But when you're going after a goal, sometimes it doesn't work out for you so well. And so just to share a quick story, uh, I took the class that they offered and at the end of the four-day class, there was like six of us in the class. I was the only female. Mm -hmm. one, one bullet went off the page, and I failed. I failed. And 
usually once you take the class, you should, you know, you, you should pass. I mean, they give you enough training and everything. It just didn't work out for me. So it, it was a little embarrassing because there's 80 officers at the jail and I, I'm sure everyone knew, but I thought, you know what, when I fail, I just, I just dig deeper mm-hmm. and I thought I'm going to go back at this. So I went to the head of the jail and I said, Hey, I'd like to try the qualification again within the next 12 months. And he's like, all right, sounds good. So I went home, I looked up a bunch of things on the internet and found someone that I could work with. And I went back a year later and I ended up getting a hundred percent on the qual. <laughs> and it was four different people with me this time. I didn't really know these people very well, but they're like, oh my God, did she just get a hundred percent? And then they grabbed the paper and then we took a picture. And uh, <laughs> I, love it. I, I look at the, cause I took a picture the day I failed a year earlier, year and a half earlier. And then I looked at the picture today. I looked at both pictures and you know, I have a smile on my face both times because you have to have a sense of humor too. And you just have, if you don't, yeah. I mean, if you tell me Adriana, Hey, if you do this, you'll pass or get a hundred percent. I did because I did what you told me to do. It's Mm -hmm. very easy. You told me to do this and I did it. Mm -hmm. But when I was qualifying and I didn't pass, there was a reason why mentally it was not qualifying. And I had to own that. I had to go back and say, yeah. how come I didn't pass that? What can I do differently? Mm-hmm. That's on me. Mm-hmm. But when you go through training here at the Fremont Club where we are right now, mm-hmm. when you work with a trainer and they tell you, if you do this, this result will happen. I came to you five months ago when I got my new job at the city of Seattle and I was putting on my uniform pants that they issued us. Mm-hmm. and. I couldn't get in the size I'm usually, I had gained weight around my middle and I'm 145, 5'9", I'm pretty thin, long legs, but all the weight went to the waist. And so I called you and I said, hey, I need to get rid of this middle. Mm-hmm. And so then you gave me these three workouts and I did that for two months. I lost about a half inch in my waist, maybe more, but then I'm so focused and I should have listened to my body and then I injured my knee a little bit. Overtrained. It's overtrained. We get addicted. All of us do it, Jane. Just know <laughs> that. Like that's how we learn as as trainers ourselves. We are training and pushing ourselves. And so when we train and push other people, we remind people, look, you can only do this workout three times and then you gotta do these two other times. But we like something so much because it gives us such an impact that we do it again and do it again and do it again. And then we get injured. And then you come back and you realize, oh yeah, I gotta add some flexibility, some mobility training in there and get off that, keep so, changing it up. Right. So, you know, my partner, Cheryl, has always been a great supporter of me. And she used to say, hey, you know what? If it was easy, everybody would do it. Exactly. So, and I, Remember that when I left the academy, I wrote in the bathroom for the other women that were coming after me. I left a note on the mirror. I don't know who saw it because I don't know who came in the class after me, but I said, hey, keep going. If it was easy, everybody would do it. And it's true. It really reminded me of that when I saw a client that I had. It's actually a husband of a client. I've trained his wife for over 14 years. So he's like, really ready. And I said, good, I'm just glad you're here. But it's challenging because it's hard to get out of your comfort zone. You set yourself up to be comfortable. And then you have to like watch the booze and watch the (laughs) food. And you know, you can eat whatever you want, but just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because you can drink every day 
don't think you should do it every day because you want to sleep better. You want to get more. You want to get better. I have to tell people that because it's such a big thing. I remember another client said, "I cannot do you know these dry January," and I said, "Then don't do it. But think about it, right? Are you going to let something grip you, right? So if you're going to enjoy a drink every now and then, fabulous, fantastic. But don't let something grip you like that." And he was like, "Oh yeah." I got I got to check that. And I said, "Yes. Get out of your comfort zone. You don't grow in your comfort. You know, it's like if if something is gripping you that much, take a look. Don't be afraid. Well, you told me, "Hey, you do a lot of your repair work when you're sleeping. That's why you don't want to drink every day because that healing takes mm-hmm. place as you as you're sleeping." And so I took your advice for a couple months. I was sleeping better. Alcohol affects your sleep. In fact, people should look up what dry January means. There's some mental health benefits to that. They talk about recreating pathways. Hormone and everything. Everything in moderation, even moderation, right? If we're that kind of person that's like, hey, 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 doing all these things, we got to relax. But all of us, doesn't matter. I I tell my nephew this. It doesn't matter where you were. We could be workaholics, alcoholics, shopaholics. There's all of these sort of addictions that we have. And it's just a matter of gaining perspective and seeing what you need to work on. I'll give you a, a shout out when it talks to reaching goals, because when I met you, you taught me how to lift weights. I was able to feel really good about passing and getting 100% on the physical test at the jail. And then I went on to get on the CERT team, Mm -hmm. which was when I trained to drag a 160-pound body dummy. We had to drag so many feet and Mm -hmm. then got on the CERT tactical team. Because you had trained me so well, I I was strong and I was able to pass that test and Mm -hmm. and it felt good to get that done. And then I, I met you again. You assisted me in in training for the police department. And then just six months ago, train with you again, and you helped me get rid of that little tire around my waist. But I think not only did you tell me and show me what to do, it was the mental piece that you gave me mm-hmm. and being the cheerleader. And I, for me, kind of like a therapist mm-hmm. would do. So that's what's so important when you're trying to meet these goals. But I can't thank you enough. You gave me a different view mm-hmm. of, of working out and like, wow, it really worked. What she told me worked. Mm-hmm. And then you're just kind of, well, of course it worked. But if you don't do what your trainer says, or you hire a lawyer and you don't follow their advice, or you hire somebody else, you know, this is what people do for a living, and they have expertise in things. If you're going to pay somebody for their advice, you should take it. Yeah. I mean, especially if you do your research. And not only that, I think I'm not a therapist. I always tell people I'm not a therapist. (laughs) But what is really great is that you feel heard sometimes when you process those things that are going on in your head you can see the bullshit there and you can clean it out you can see all the excuses you give yourself sometimes we don't see it because it's coming from us and then you see the professional that you hired that's why i said jane did you hire any professional the therapist like then you can see what you're saying you're like oh yeah why do i oh it's because i grew up that way or it was because i felt like well we're not supposed to do that. Or I felt like I couldn't make a mistake. Like I couldn't make mistakes. When the way I grew up, it was not very encouraging. When people talked to you, it was like, oh, you think you're a badass? Instead of like, hey, you can do it. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you need? How can we help you? That wasn't, I think my parents just were not as conscious, so to speak. We're immigrant workers. We're just working on like barely paying 
rent and food. So I think people just really have to be able to, to see where they're at, process whatever the excuses they have to do, get rid of them. And I like the way you said that. You said goodbye to certain goals. Sometimes it's hard for people to say goodbye to changing some goals. They just keep doing it. And your heart's not in it anymore. And then you realize, like, why am I here? And it happens to people that put away their feelings or compartmentalize, like me. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I can be a rock, you know, and do things. But at the same time, there's some times where you really have to look at that. Well, why do I want that? Do I really want that? And then just redirect, pivot. It's never too late. You can always start over. Every moment is a new moment. You can change direction you can course correct you can better communicate even under adversity and then you can show your kids that you can make mistakes but guess what look you can try something else try this i make mistakes too i'm human human that's that's the humanity part about us and the connection instead of like judgment or berating ourselves for doing something else and that was a voice i had to really stand up to too is the beration of myself when i messed up or i did something it wasn't me it was maybe my ego trying to protect me but also the way i grew up like oh you made a mistake and it was like drilled into you so then you didn't even want to try yeah because there's those mistakes and a lot of the people that do end up lost because we all get lost that's evident we get lost we find ourselves hopefully and then we try again right it's not finished until we die i'm not perfect until i'm gone then you can you can't do anything (laughs) but at the same time i just want people to see that like there's so many times in your life it could have gone differently but you're like no this is what i want to do I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to work that hard. Well, I, I think I, I was lucky too because my dad, again, he raised us, you can be anything you want to be. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I took the LSAT. I was going to be a lawyer because we've got lawyers in our family. But I think now, I, I think a lot of people aren't brought up that way. And I, I think women, this has been, been a very interesting last hundred years for women. Women are starting to stand up for themselves right now. I just read something in the Huffington Post about there's more women now graduating from medical school and from law school and college and if you look at you know bringing up policing now's a great time for people to enter the police department historically right now nationally women are only 12 percent of sworn officers and there's only three percent of women in leadership right right now right so i mean take a look at the supreme court (laughs) right (laughs) yeah we're not done like ruth bader ginsburg said until we have more representation representation is everything when you see a brown face as a police officer it will de-escalate and no matter what coming from a brown face person yourself like it just changes things you see one of you of course we're all together let's just bring up policing again there's a, a national initiative and you can read about it it's called 3030 they want 30% of the workforce to be women by 2030 because they've done all this research and women have less complaints. Mm-hmm. Women use less force. Mm-hmm. And, and de-escalate. And so the world is open for women more than it used to be. But when it comes to like working out, and I just remembered how much you helped me trying to get to my goal. And this has nothing to do with any, any of your questions, but before I forget, <laughs> I do okay. want to sh- give you a shout out that Aww. since you know my personality pretty well, when you were telling me, okay, you do these three workouts throughout the month to meet my goal, you took a video of yourself doing it. Mm. 
because I'm visual and I can't just meet with you once and then write it down and then look at my phone or a piece of paper and start doing the workout. I have to like, how did she move her arm and how did she do this and how did she do that? And that's really how I learned. Oh, and so everyone learns differently. And I think it's important that you recognize that. Thank you. Um, yeah. So that really helped me. And you're welcome. Like coming off of COVID, Jane, that's a challenging thing. Yeah. Or tighter. Stretching was a big game changer for me. I needed to stretch. And if you don't have that consistency, I wasn't foam rolling. It hurts, right? And then I realized my hips were a lot tighter. I went and got a massage from an awesome lady and she just worked on all the fascia and my hips felt free i was like oh my gosh fascia i forget that it's on the joint and the bone as well any ligaments there's it's fascia everywhere so we just got to get in there and that's me 22 years in my fitness learn something else again we're always learning and growing well I, I was cracking up because i kept having to watch the videos over and over <laughs> and over and then stop them and i thought oh god she's going to be able to see how many times don't i watched this video <laughs> that you're so busy that i'm sure you didn't even look but you know when you talk about covid i got super lucky during covid because mm. i was working as a police officer then so i was able to go to work and go to my police calls and so I was able to walk around and then be outside. And yeah. so I didn't experience what a lot of people did working out of their homes and mm -hmm. being trapped inside. Mm -hmm. So I was still getting my workouts in either at home or we have a weight room at the police department. I didn't miss a beat during COVID because I was working full time. Anyway, what else do you got going? Okay, I have one more question for you. What does strength mean for you, Jane? Fuerte, being fuerte. What does being fuerte mean for you? I honestly, strength to me means I should be able to handle my own body weight mm -hmm. to be safe. Mm -hmm. Let's just say that I can't imagine not feeling like I feel today. Mm -hmm. So for the last 15 years, I've been actively lifting weights. I still feel like I'm in my 30s. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So young. Handling my own body weight, what does that mean? That means you should be able to do some push-ups. Mm -hmm. You should be able to carry your bike and put it on the bike rack. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's the answer yep. you want. No, that's but perfect. You should be able to get off the floor and on the floor. Yeah, it's interesting you asked that question because I was watching something on the news. I had this great story of this woman who was like 82 and she was a domestic violence survivor. And she got into powerlifting. Mm -hmm. And she said before she started doing powerlifting, she would just walk around town kind of with her head down because she'd been, a, she'd been abused. She was a mm -hmm. victim. And somehow she got in the gym and she said, now I'm proud. I walk outside. I feel strong. I walk to my car. I look around at people when I walk down the street. And her story, I wish I could remember her name. Her story's... We'll have to look it up. Yeah. But... That's what being strong, and as you get older, things get weaker, so you gotta hit the weights. I can't tell you how many women tell me I just went straight to the cardio. And I was like, go take up space in the weight room. Excuse me, can I grab those 20s from you if you're not using them? That just helps you, helps empower you to use mm -hmm. your voice to create presence and to be there. So I like the way you just said that. Sometimes women don't feel like we can take up space. Well, 
men do it all the time. <laughs> I'm yeah. opening up my legs and man spreading. <laughs> Jane, thank you so much for this time. I so appreciate it. I'm glad we finally got it and that you made it. Yeah. It was so perfect. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Bye. All right. See you later. Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Being Fuerte, Mi Gente. We would so appreciate it if you would write a review on whatever podcast platform you are using so that we can get the word out. And please, if you find a podcast episode useful, share with a friend. Being Fuerte is powered by my company, Fuerte Fitness at FuerteFitness.com. Connect with us on all of our social media at Fuerte Fitness. Let us know what you want to hear more in depth of competition, nutrition, workouts, or how to find a balance. We will be interviewing gym owners, trainers, coaches, clients, friends, and many others in our industry. Connect with us at Fuerte Fitness on Instagram or on our website. Gracias y adiós.